Welcome to episode 48 of Texting, the weekly tech podcast in which our goal is to help you break free from working for the man. Coming to you from just outside Los Angeles, I'm Justin Vincent. And I'm Jason Roberts coming to you from Pasadena, California. Hey. How's it going? So our, our, the, we have actually a, um, our goal. <laughs> yeah, we, we want oh, people to, be, to, to, no, to no longer have to work for the man. We want people to become their own, their own uh, entrepreneur and turn their side projects into their full-time income. Oh, okay. I didn't realize that that was our goal. Okay. Well, <laughs> okay. I don't know if it's our goal, but it's certainly our theme. Okay. <laughs> um, so, hey, listen, happy Father's Day. Yeah, well, Father's Day is tomorrow, right? Oh, uh, fair enough. <laughs> Sorry, I thought it was today. That just goes to show how yeah. much I'm with it. I said, do they have Father's Day in, um, in England? Yeah, we, we, we have Father's Day in England. Is it the same day of the year or is it another time? I think it may be a different day, actually. Okay, yeah, because I was talking to Guyon yesterday. He's in Norway and he said that in Norway they do, Father's Day is in um, November, I think. That's what he said. So I guess cool. it's not like Christmas or something where everybody does it on the 25th. No. Number. So, um... Happy Father's Day for tomorrow then, I guess. Okay. Well, thank you very uh, on much. On behalf of your kids. Right. Okay, so... <laughs> uh, I, I have an idea for a new segment. Go on. Called Old Issues Worth Discussing. <laughs> All right. Talk about well, actually, it. Actually, maybe that should be the name of it. But I, I noticed that I, when and I go back and I listen to the show, I, there's usually... A handful of things that I've said that are not quite correct or not quite what I meant, and I go, "Oh man, why did I say that?" Or, or I just completely misunderstood you. Oh, okay. um, like one of them was interesting. On the last show, we were talking. You you said you asked me about why I didn't consider the multi-tenant model for Epic Night. Right. Right. And I I completely misunderstood what you were even talking about because you were you were asking me about whether I would have a single database or a separate database for every single application. Yeah, that's exactly what I was asking. And but multi-tenant is also what you were talking about at the same time, which is where there's like a virtual machine for every single um, count. Is that right? Is that what you meant by multi-tenant? No, multi multi-tenant is uh, typically refers to the way that the, the scheme is split up. Okay, so I was just sure because I, I always thought when they had multi-tenant that it's like a, it's like a you know they they're isolated within their own their own VM or something like that. Like when you get like a dedicated virtual server on a ho, on a ISP or web okay. host. Okay. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. I, maybe I'm using the terms incorrectly. Um, but multi-tenant is a separate database for everyone. So that so in fact I was I did interpret. No no no. Multi-tenant is a single database for everyone, and then um, otherwise it's it's a, it's basically not multi-tenant. So it's just, I see what you mean, multi-tenant. Okay, I see what you're talking about, right? So there's one account. There's okay, I get it. So basically, you have you have one big table, and then that table is split up by user ID. So you so every row you can see what user ID it belongs to. That's what you call the multi-tenant system. Right. Like, no, clearly, yeah, clearly that wouldn't work at all in 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 Epicnet because everybody has a completely different schema. Well, yeah, but I mean. It could work in Apignite because you can have you can have different schemas within a multi-tenant system as well, just by uh, being clever with the data. So you you could kind of say, you know, every single row in my database has fifty columns, and of those fifty columns, columns, you know, twenty through thirty can be have different names or whatever, and store different data types or what. Do you know what I'm saying? So you could kind of make it like a dynamic 
Oh, uh, kind of schema. like the friend feed did theirs. We talked about that a number of shows back, how it's sort of a schema-less database approach. Right, right, exactly. But you, 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 as far as the end user's concerned, they have a schema, but it's just it's all stored in your, in your one Uber schema. Yeah, I, I just thinking, I mean, my first reaction, that would probably be more complicated. Although, you know, Gainer and I have been talking about moving in the direction of MongoDB at some point. Um, I, I don't know. I, I seems, MongoDB seems to be such a slick solution for building, um, for, for, work, for web applications, you know, for essentially CRUD implementations. Yeah. Um, they seem to be really scalable, really simple, and just much more natural rather than having all this normalized data and all these different tables and having to do all these complex joins and stuff. Now, I've built a complete working uh, ORM or object relational mapper that's, that's working great, but I, I think that not having to deal with that, have something that's much simpler using Mongo, using a document-oriented database might ultimately be a more stable, scalable solution in the long run. So... It could be. I mean, you. I guess you could. Uh, you could have like a hybrid. Okay. So you can you could make it. You could gradually kind of give people the the option of which table type they were going to use. Oh, you mean which database? Whether they're going to use this, or it's going to be on build on a relational database or on Mongo. Yeah, because you could. Because potentially, I mean, the the IDs you can just store in Mongo, and then you could map them all together, and you know. Right. I, I would, um, what I, what we may do, um, is, is have like an option, like to do it one of two ways. Um, because if, if, if I do provide an option for people to export their application and run it on their own server yep. and they may or may not have access to Mongo or they may just be on some kind of shared server. They just, they, that has MySQL or Postgres or something and they just don't want to have to okay. deal with installing it. Then in which case it would make more sense for them to, to, to use MySQL. Right, right. right. Um, and I was kind of thinking about like that, the whole exporting. It was because it's funny because Mark, um, who for anybody who's new to the show, is a friend of mine I've been working on an iPhone app with. And he, we had to build a database version of his uh, app, which was the, which was App Ignite was used to build. And uh, he went up this week, or he actually went up yesterday to meet with a, a VC firm up in San Francisco. And so we were scrambling, and he's like, "Okay, what about you know running this on our server?" Because they set up he set up a server account at um, at uh, Media Temple. Yeah. And I was like, "Well, I don't know if we really have to do that now, right?" I mean, everything runs. There's no point moving it to you know moving the whole application. I mean, we can just have it forward to Appignite yeah. to the subdomain. There's no point in doing any of that. Um, but I, part of what I was thinking about is like, even if let's say I did want to export it, like we just want to copy everything. Like you want to make this kind of a seamless process. Yeah. Like how do you do that in a seamless way, especially if people are sort of not non-technical? I mean, which Appignite is the goal is to support people who aren't necessarily very technical. That will definitely be much easier with MySQL because every host has MySQL. Right. So, exactly it. Right. So if you just can like click a button, it creates a zip with the schema with the dump of the schema and um, all of the code files, and they just basically somehow unzip that onto their server. See, um, what I was actually thinking is that they would bring over a single PHP file to their server. Right. That would be served as sort of like an API, and it would call back to um, AppIgnite, and it would just start pulling over data files, pulling over data, and doing everything like yeah, that. Yeah, that's a good idea. Just a single install script, but just I guess they'd have to make sure that that script had permissions right. to to write to the server. That's the only issue with that. 
Yeah. So, um, right. So, yeah, well, Mark, well, anyway, on the other topic, uh, Mark went up to, you know, actually took, already took the iPhone app and, and, you know, did his first VC meeting and right. that went really well. And he said the iPhone app worked like a champ and they were impressed. And That's fantastic. That's so good. I, I, I'll be very, very excited and impressed if, um, if you can get VC for something that isn't in the marketplace. Because because that's definitely the trend at the moment. VCs are talking about investing in products and people who have something already going, already have customers, already have a revenue. That's the new game in town. So if he if he can get money um, just through basically you building the first you know version one, mm-hmm. that's just that's just really really good. Yeah, well, I I think the his his plan is to is not it's not just to raise money but the, like he's they're they're already doing a lot of um biz dev stuff they're, they're already talking to a lot of customers and trying to get people signed up so i think you know the money raising process you know usually lasts you know three months to six months or however long and during that period of time you know that he's not anytime he's not raising money he's going to be either you know working on the product or meeting with uh, potential customers and trying to sign up businesses so that every time he goes back for a meeting, it's like, okay, well, we got these all these new customers, which shows traction, which shows that you're uh, actually making progress. I mean, that's what VCs so want to see. The only thing I'd say is all my experience of VCs is the money, the, the, the fundraising process is six months to nine months, not three and months to six months. What, but, what's your experience, Ben? Well, it's, it's, it's basically been through seeing other people raise money and through going through those, the, talking to VCs and uh, them uh, essentially explaining expectations to me about how long it takes. Like mm-hmm. with with angels, you can you know you can get money in three months, but with VCs, it's there's all this due diligence process and there's a whole there's a whole kind of um, litigious stuff that you, you need to go through that takes right. yeah, a no, lot that's, of months that's, in its own right. That's absolutely true. But I you know they he they're not just going to go the VC route, right? They're going right. to talk to everybody. And a lot of times you could talk to the VCs, and if they like what you're doing, they might just say, hey, it's cool business idea, like the product, whatever, but it's a little too early. We, we invest at a little later stage, but you should talk to... Yeah, these yeah, guys, exactly. Right? That point you to the angels. Yeah, exactly. That's and true. We like these angels that, you know, and, and so you just get in the conversation with a lot of these different people. And so you just got to leave no rock unturned. And I'm sure they'll end up talking to 10 or 20 or whatever VCs and angels within the next month or so. And, and that's that's at least where you find out. You know, if you can actually get some funding. Well, I mean, so. I, I really wish him the best of luck with it. And looking at the product, I think it's just the, the, a really great product in the in exactly the right space. So if anyone can do it, Mark can do it with that project, I think. I hope so. It'll be cool. Yeah. I think he, he'll do a good job with the money raising. He's, he's, he's good at that kind of thing, I think. Um, you know, it's funny. I, I, I have a, a friend of mine, uh, Travis Kalanick, who I, I want to invite on the show. He's an angel investor and uh, lives up in San Francisco. And I tried to, at the last minute, have him um, uh, meet with Mark, but it was just a little too last minute. Right. But I, I called Travis up on Skype and I'm sitting here with Mark and I go, hey, Travis, so, you know, could you meet with Mark? And, you know, we were working on this iPhone app thing. And he's like, he's like, so, he's like, so what's the idea? And I, and I, I can't really, I can't see it on the show yet. But so I just told him in a, a one liner, he's like, you had me at hello. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Like, That's great. So that was, that was a good, uh, that was a good vote of confidence or whatever. So yeah, well, that's interesting. Um, Okay. Anyway, a couple of the other thing, two things I want to bring up. He said, um, you know, in, in the old issues worth discussing segment, right. one was um, 
we were talking a little about about raising money for Epic Night. You were asking me, like, you know, why don't I consider raising money since it's a it's a big project? Um, yes. And another idea that was in my head that I didn't, I don't think I articulated at the time, was that if you raise money, there's sort of a timeout period. Like if you don't, if you either don't reach profitability or you're not able to raise m- more money, it's dead, right? It just dies. That's it. And however, if you don't raise any money, it's, the only thing that's going to kill it is you stop working on it, right? In a way. Right. I mean, you could, it, it doesn't, there's no, there's no deadline. There's no, like, we got, you know, six more months or nine more months of runway, otherwise we're done. I mean, it's theoretically possible, right, that if you get funding and the funding runs out, you still, by yourself, keep working on it, but that's pretty... But it's pretty, it's a pretty negative way of looking at it. I mean, <laughs> if you... If you raise money and you put that money into your company, presumably you're going to work as hard as you can full time on it to get it out the door in time and 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 turn it round. I mean, you, like no one raises money thinking, well, you know what? If the project's dead, it's dead. No, it just means that you don't. The thing is, is that sometimes it just takes a little more time to get things right, to sort things out. And if it's something you really want to do, then what you have to do is you either have to make it work in the period you have to make it profitable. Or be able to raise money in that initial amount of time. And a lot of times, it's not like you raise money for years. You year. don't have to be able to make it profitable. That's that's not true. You just have to show growth. So it doesn't. Well, no, doesn't, you have to either raise money or make money, right? Yeah, you can show but, growth, but if you can't, if you can't raise more money, you, you will raise money if you show growth. Once you've got once you've got your first your first investor, right. and once once you've shown decent growth and adoption, like it would, it seems to me it would be very unlikely that you wouldn't raise a second round because. You'd have the product, you'd have the growth, you'd have people using it, you'd have the buzz, the interest. I mean, that's the classic game. Yeah, that's, but if you don't, then what happens? Well, you're dead. That, but you're that's, that's, that's dead. That's the same you're business. But the fact right? is, you raise money and you will make that happen. If you if you don't, you wouldn't have it. You wouldn't it's not, have done that's it. That's not completely under control, though. You're just making a bunch of assumptions. You're assuming you can raise money. You, you know what the economic climate's going to be. It's we're always it's always changing every year or two. It's completely different how easy and hard it is to make money. What people are willing to fund or what they're not willing to fund. I'm just saying that if you don't raise money, it's entirely under your control. Right. Whether when and what happens with it. Well, it's not. You, it's to be honest. I'd argue that it's less under your control because at the moment you're not raising any money. So therefore, you have to work eight hours a day on consultants' work, and you can only fit in a tiny bit of Apic Night. So right. it's much harder for you to bring it to market. It's much harder for you to show growth anything. So it's much harder for you to turn it into anything sensible. Whereas if you actually had money and you could get rid of all those clients, you could then work on it for a year, eight hours. Well, but you wouldn't be working eight hours a day. You'd be working 10 hours a day because you'd be kind of obsessed with it. And you would get it out the door and you would turn it into, I mean, basically... It would almost put you in a position of more control. In, in no, you're not, that's not true. You don't have more control because you, you're, you, when, when investors put in money, they have a lot of control and a lot of say in what happens. You know, there's just, there's no, I mean, you know, if things don't happen at a certain pace, then, you know, they're going to have a lot of, uh, they're going to want things to change. And so so control have, is the wrong word. More, more execution is the word I'm looking for. Like you, you're, you're amping your execution by something like 500, 600%. Is, right. is what you would have by taking the money on board. Well, I, you know, I honestly don't, I, I don't know about that, Justin, because, you know, you're, you're assuming that all hours in the day are, consider, are, are, cons, are consistent in terms of, you know, let's just assume you're the only developer, right? You, you, you raise uh, a modest amount of money and it's just you, okay? W- 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 just for a simple case. And you're assuming that 
you know, your eight or 10 hours are always equally productive, which they're not remotely, right? There's, there's usually a few hours in there where you're really cranking, right? Yeah. You're really making. And one thing I've learned is that since I can't only spend, you know, two to three hours a day on App Ignite, I'm thinking about a constant. So when I get my chance, I mean, I really am productive for that period of time. But there's no way I'm that productive for, you know, eight or more hours a day at all. So that's one thing. I, I mean, I've, I've got a lot of work done, even just working on this thing, whatever it is, 15 to 20 hours a week. Um, well, I mean, it's, it's sources for courses. I mean, I'm only, I'm only, you know, giving an opinion and, and uh, that could be completely incorrect. Um, but, yeah. Yeah, so, um, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm just kind of saying, calling it how I see it. But, I mean, you, you've, you know, you've proven that the work that you put in is actually creating results. So I think there's, I'm not kind of saying that your way is, is the wrong way. I'm not saying that. Yeah, no, I, and, and I'm, I'm not saying that. That obviously wasn't what I was wanting to get into. I just want to say the other reason was is that I don't want there to be a deadline. I don't want there to be like, you know, if you don't reach a certain level of profitability, a certain by this date, it is over. But that's, that's kind of a classic. <laughs> that's, that's the classic for, for kind of, you know, wannabe entrepreneurs is like, I don't want there to be a deadline because <laughs> then there's no responsibility and then it's you know i can just do it and it's not it's not something that i've got i'm tied down to and i don't i can't I, I can't be bound to the responsibility of that which is a great position to be in but is, isn't that part of the reason why a lot of people don't finish their products don't get it out the door because they're not responsible for delivering yeah basically because they're not responsible they can be laissez-faire about it they can take their time. That's, that might be true. I mean, there's, I think there's, there's, there's so many different types of people and there's so many different motivations and there's so many different types of, co- of contexts or what people and constraints people are working under. I think it's, it's hard to say, you know, make too many, too many generalizations about this kind of stuff. But right. uh, for me, you know, one of the reasons that I, I, I just like working on my own stuff. I like working on what I want to work on I, as opposed to what other people want me to build for them. I mean, that, you know, as being a mercenary. You know, I don't mind building... St- I mean, writing code is just in and of itself fun. And if you're working with, you know, intelligent, you know, friendly people, then it's, an enjoy- it's, it's still enjoyable. But it's not nearly as exciting or as fun. It's just like, I have this idea. I have this vision. I want to build it. You know? So now that's that's interesting that you should say that because that brings in a slight change of topic. Do you, would you mind if we slightly change topic? No, go ahead. So I've got a couple of pieces of interesting news. Um, number one is that Swarm is uh, has been approved. It's on the App Store and had nine sales in its first day. But did it we, really? Yeah, yeah it did. <laughs> but before we get into that, another piece of interesting news is that I've taken on a um, essentially a full time position for a company called MyVibo. Right, com, right, and um, I, I can kind of officially announce that my official title in that three-man company <laughs> okay. is vice president of information technology. <laughs> <laughs> okay, <laughs> the boss of three. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wait, no, does a three count count you? The boss of one. Oh, you have one. Okay, so you're gonna boss one guy around all day. That sounds great. I'm sure he's gonna love that. <laughs> yeah, I, but I'm not. I mean, it's not gonna be like that. At I know. All, but but um, but yeah. Uh, so it's 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 the the start of something good. I hope, and um, I'm I'm excited about it. But I, the reason why I bring it up is because you're talking about working on other people's stuff, right? And um, yeah, I mean, I think that's you know sometimes it is nice to work on other people's stuff, especially when it's 
when it's a very young product and a very young company. So in a sense, it's a lot like working on your own stuff. Yeah, I mean, like, I think it's, again, that's something that just depends on the person. You know, some people, working on your own stuff, it can be very difficult because they're never convinced that what they're doing is worth worth doing and they can't, you know, make make a choice. And they, it's just, a, there's a lot of stress and uncertainty and in, 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 in doing your own thing. Whereas if you work on somebody else's stuff, it's like, you don't have to make those decisions. You know, you're getting a paycheck or you're getting a you know, consulting check or whatever. And it's like, all right. Build it. Now all I have to do is just focus on the doing as opposed to whether I should do it. Well, right? I, have to, I have to admit, it's, there's something very comforting about getting a paycheck after being purely consulting for two, for two years. And, you know, sometimes you have to kind of fight for the contracts and fight for bringing the money in. And you are, you know, you have that extra level of responsibility. So working for the man, <laughs> right? I'm now working for the man, which is the exact opposite of the, uh, of the whole ethos of the show. Um, can have its benefits too. Right. Well, yeah, uh, it's not really my, uh, you know, my way, but I can understand why other people do it. I mean, well, let me ask you a question. I mean, what about when, what's going to happen with Plugio and Swarm? And this kind of, and with with the change in uh, well, situation. I mean those those things. I mean they're just still very much just kind of sideline projects. Like I'm, they're not going to take any kind of d- sensible amount of time from my day. Like right, basically, so th- the, the long and the short of it is, is I put I, I'm now the the way that you're working your day, where you're putting your eight hours into your you know your contracts. I'm right. putting my eight hours into uh, Vivo. And mm-hmm. then I'll just do nighttime and weekend work on anything else that I've got going on. And they're, they're cool with that. They're that's yeah, been yeah, they're fine fact. with that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, that's that's nice. I mean, as long and the good thing is you work at home. So a lot of full-time jobs, you spend a lot of time commuting and things, so you waste a lot of hours. A lot yeah, of exactly. I mean, especially if you just sit in traffic and stuff, just the stress and, and the exhaustion that results from that, that you have, it's harder to, 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 to find the time and the energy to work on something inside. But if you're just working at home and you get your full hours in, your full day of hours working for uh, on something then you can just you know take a break and then you're like all right now I'm, you know I'll start working on my other stuff so, so that's i think it makes it a little more tenable for yeah. you since you're working remotely because this company is actually based in massachusetts new hampshire yeah new hampshire yeah exactly so you don't have to deal with any of that yeah no it's great it's great not having to commute because i mean I, i've worked for large well, for companies before and you're, you're right that commute time usually kills like three hours a day kind of thing but um yeah. what i was going to say is just just talking about swarm now <laughs> just right. moving off that so i was really really excited to see that uh, swarm got approved so what happened was it took from the time that i uploaded it it took uh six days for them to kind of notice that it had been uploaded so it it's they have this kind of state this app state thing this flag so it says that it's you know waiting for review and right. it was waiting for review for six days and then after six days it says in review and i was like oh yes it's in review oh god i hope they don't reject it. i hope they don't reject it right. but then like after a day they said approved and then it goes right. live and then as soon as it's live i'm like checking into this into the stat system to see you know i i purchased it immediately right and i wanted right. to see whether there was one purchase one sale but they don't do the, the stats that way they wait uh, like a 24-hour period okay so they give you the stats at the end of that so i logged in this morning and saw that there was nine sales Right. So I was wow. like, well, what are you selling it for? Four ninety nine. Okay. 25 bucks. You're off to the races. <laughs> well, I, I get three, I get three fifty. Oh no, wait, I'm sorry. They're five, I'm sorry. 10. You said you had nine sales, nine sales. Yeah. That's 45. It's, it's, nice. well, it's, I, I get three fifty per sale. Cause it's four ninety nine. The way that they do it is they have this thing. They don't actually 
deal in money, they deal in tiers. So they they have tiers, tier one, tier two, tier three, tier four, all the way up to tier five hundred kind of thing. And then in in America, that that equals four. You know, minus tier five. So in America, that equals four ninety nine, and in the UK, that equals two sixty seven, and in, in Hong Kong, it equals whatever. So okay. basically, that's that's the way it is. But I had two sales in the UK and uh, seven sales in America. Mm. And the thing is, is that I know that I bought one, and I know that a friend of mine called Tyler bought one, okay. and then another friend called Bob bought one. Okay. So three people I can account for. Okay. Uh, actually, I think Jim Robert also probably bought one as well, who's a, a listener of the show. Okay. But what, what I would say is... Um, to to anyone listening, <laughs> I, I'd totally appreciate it if you could just uh, buy Swarm and and review it and see what you think of it. I don't mind whether you give it a good review or a bad review. I guess I would prefer if it was a good review, but it'd just be nice because an honest review, an honest that's review, that's all required. An because I've, I've heard that you need ten reviews to to kind of begin to get noticed by the app store um, and get kind of thought of as a product worth worth promoting and kind of highlighting as new and noteworthy. Right, right. Oh, you know that reminds me. Since you're putting the call out, we need to we need to every show remind people to tweet about the show. Yeah, right? they totally do. Like they, they they need to help us promote this. Like yeah, we we we're kind of stalling out here. I've noticed for the last few weeks we haven't really grown, and I think part of that is because we haven't invited on any guests. Usually we grow when we invite guests on because. Yeah. A certain number of people listen to the show who are sort of fans or followers or readers or whatever of this person we invite on the show. So we usually pick up some people. Otherwise, it's such a much slower growth. And we haven't done that in, I don't know, uh, I guess Taylor, but I don't think Taylor really has a following. (laughs) Tweet? (laughs) That's nice. Hey, Taylor. Yeah, no, no, it's a key at Taylor. I mean, hey, really I don't have a following. <laughs> Look, I don't have a following really other than the show, but I mean, you know, whatever that amounts to. But I mean, it's not like he has like 10,000 Twitter followers or, you know. Well, I, well I've got six, six uh, almost 7,000 Twitter followers, and I tweet about the show once a day, and it tends to bring in like two people to listen to it per day. So. That doesn't, that doesn't, doesn't make much of a difference. That's not, that's not so, much of a, I mean, I'm telling you seriously, but we'd be fantastic if, if, if anyone listening to the show could tweet about it, could blog about it, could tell their friends about it. Because I've been listening to some of the shows and I actually think they're kind of good. Like, the, the, it's good quality stuff and we do talk about interesting stuff. And I think that a lot of techie people would be interested. It's just that it's not really getting the exposure, you know, it's not getting any yeah, kind of exposure. Yeah, we got we to do a little more on the biz dev front. We really got to invite some more people on the show is what we got to do. We got we, we need to get back to doing that every other show we or every third show or something we have a, a guest on. And that, that really helps. That'll, that'll mix, help mix things up and also help spur the growth. Uh, but speaking of Taylor, so I've been working with Taylor, I, I think I've... <laughs> I t- told you right because right. Taylor is doing the design work for Mark's iPhone app and for the website. Actually, more for the just the the the, the website version of the iPhone app. Yeah, and uh, he's done really nice work. So first thing I say is anybody who needs a a, a really good designer, um, I think Taylor uh, is doing a great job. I'll put a link to him on the um, in the show notes. He um, and he also does he's also done a really good job. I think with sort of working with Mark on sort of u- user experience issues as opposed to just like hey what you know what colors do you want right. You know, like, you know, trying to convince Mark, okay, do you really need these extra input fields? Can we do this? Can we do that? Which are all good ideas from a you know, user, uh, user experience. You really not require as little input from the users as possible um, to get them what they want. And, you know, just things like that. So Mark came back to me and said, oh, well, Taylor convinced me to do these things. I'm like, yeah, those are really good ideas. You know, so so, so ta- I was just having a chat with Taylor yesterday, and he was asking me if I 
did any um, contract video work because he said he really liked the videos that I put together on um, uh -huh. Swarm and Plugio, and he said, you know, you've got a great voice and you do you do the video stuff well. So I said to him, well, you know, why you've got a good voice too? Like, why don't you do you know do your own video? And he's like, well. I did, I did do my own video, and then he put the link to his video, and, and he says, have a look at the comments. <laughs> All the comments are, oh, man, great product, but that guy's voice really creeps me out. I think he's going to come and kill me. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's not a great review. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, <laughs> I see what you mean. <laughs> maybe, maybe I'll do that for you then. <laughs> You know, the thing that's funny about Taylor, so I was talking to him, we were up like around midnight or so, you know, peeing back and forth as we're trying to get this um, this website ready for Mark's uh, demo. You know, right. he had VCs. And so um, I was talking with him and he said, he said, yeah, he said, I had my, my, I guess he's like, my wife listened to the show and she's like, now you're going to be known as the depressed designer. <laughs> he said he was depressed when I invited him to be on the show. <laughs> And I said, that's great. You should do it. You should be known as the depressed designer, right? That's your brand. That should be his blog, yeah. Uh, the, the depressed, depressed designer speaks. That <laughs> would be great. Is he, I guess I guess he has a, a, a I don't know, a lower-paced uh, uh, way of speaking or something. Then maybe it comes across that way a little bit. But that's not even it. I mean, it's just because I said he was depressed because when I emailed him to invite him on the show originally, he um, – he said that he was – he did say, in fact, say he was a little depressed at the time because print-friendly was not growing as quickly as he had hoped. Right. And he just – I don't think he was super excited about talking about it, which is understandable. You know, you get those sort of doldrums. You release it. You get some initial sales and then ba-dum-bump, -bump, you know. Hey, um, I've just recently got in contact with uh, a company uh, through potentially wanting to use their API, a company called icerocket.com. Mm -hmm. And um, I was vaguely thinking of inviting them on the show. I don't know if, nice. the, if we, it would help us get any extra... Wait, I'm sorry, where, how do you know these guys? Well, I just, <laughs> I'm looking for, I'm looking for a, a, an API to, so that, uh, to help me build an RSS reader. Like, mm -hmm. And, and they've, got, they've got an API that can kind of help you discover, discover our, you know, good, good RSS blog content. Right. So um, that's, how, that's how I know them. And, and just, block. Well, I got, I, got about, I got a list of about six people to invite on that I think oh. would be really interesting. I've just been so busy this week that I didn't have time to invite anyone. One, one was uh, be interesting. It was just a startup that is called um, PubNub. Did you see them pop up on Hacker News a few days ago? No, I didn't, know. So what they do is, you, do you know what Comet is, where you can get real-time streaming data coming into, your, into the browser? So. Yeah. Instead of polling, so Ajax works is that every time you do a request, you get a, a response, right? Yeah. Request response. Now, you can poll like every 10 or 20 seconds, I'm going to ask the server if there are any updates. And that works if, you, if your data isn't, it doesn't need to be real time and, um, you know, it's, it's not that frequent. I think like Google Docs initially would, would do a poll like every 10, 15 seconds. Yeah. Um, now, the spreadsheets itself was actually a Comet connection, which means that you leave one, depending on the browser, because there's a different trick for different browsers, whether you have a, um, you can leave one connection, uh, what's called a long-lived connection. Right. Through your XHR um, object. Your, um, and another approach is to use an iframe, like an IE. You'd have to use like an iframe because you can't live lo use long-lived um, XHR requests, where what happens is that you leave the request open and the server does not close it until there's some data to send. So now, when those connections are open, is that just like a really kind of unheavy, not constraining port-to-port -port thing that's just kind of 
just basically keeping the port open. And then it keeps the connection. Okay, so there's a TCP connection that that's that's maintained between the server and the client, and it just stays open. Now, depending on the kind of web server you have, it can scale really well that that way because a lot of times there's just there's no data being sent anyway. But yeah. it's the whole establishing a connection and creating and the and, and the, the whole the resource required in the server to main to establish a, an incoming connection as opposed to just maintaining a bunch of connections. So the initially they call it like the 10K problem. The 10, how do you have like 10,000? Client connections at one time. How do you maintain that yeah. without killing the server? Like Apache, Apache has a process for every for handling each and every client connection. Yeah. So it starts to die uh, at a at a very low number. And I can't remember what I remember initially seeing charts where it would start to die at one hundred and fifty. And I then I remember seeing some other ones later it was more like a thousand. Because obviously it probably depends on the server, yeah. but on the memory or the RAM you have and things like that. But Regardless, it doesn't scale nearly as well as having um, some type of web server that's built to handle a, a uh, 10, 10, 20, 30,000, sometimes even hard as 50 to 100,000 simultaneous connections. And so what happens is, like, for instance, if you were getting real-time market data, let's say you, you wanted to have, like, a, a, a way to watch the, um, the price of stocks in your browser in real time. Um, so a company that was trying to do that would want, um, you know, to use the Comet approach. And also, like uh, real-time IM and chat are, are other other potential applications. I, I was thinking that um, that would work well for Swarm because obviously Swarm, I need to turn that into a networked game. So maybe yeah. I should be looking at Comet. Well, so yeah. Now, see, the thing about Comet is it's hard. Like I actually built, um, I actually spent a few time a few years ago building a JavaScript client library that would work on Firefox and IE um, back before there was a Chrome and for Safari was really making a resurgence and, and those are the two-week browsers at the time. I think it was like four years ago maybe. Yeah. And um, so I built the JavaScript and I built a PHP sort of server that would handle the request and it's a lot of work. I mean it's hard to get that to work right because the browsers really don't want to play nice with the JavaScript. I mean you have like you get the hourglass constantly on or you have like the progress bar constantly showing up in the in the Chrome of your of your browser and the status bar which looks really annoying and looks like something's wrong. So you have to do all kind of crazy hacks to try and keep that stuff happening. They have to have an iframe within an iframe within an iframe. Well that's probably not I mean like it's probably better these days, right? Well, it depends. I mean, you know, what happens is you have to have a you have to have a solution for each and every type of browser and all of the older versions, right? I mean, up well, no, I wouldn't for Swarm because it's only on um, it's only on WebKit. Yeah, so I don't know. WebKit probably might be able to handle it really easily. I don't know what the status is. I mean, if they have HTML5, then maybe have like WebSockets or something, which I think is like a new, more flexible version of like the XHR component. Oh, so but- is Web is WebSockets uh, Comet? Uh, well, Comet is just all Comet really means is just a long live connection that just doesn't end as soon as you get data back. Right. So if the server doesn't close the connection, then that is essentially Comet, whereas Ajax... It's, a Comet is obviously a play on Ajax, like Ajax being the, the, like the kitchen cleaner, and Comet is another... Well, it does co- have WebSockets. I mean, I know that Safari has that. Yeah, so they probably have these long-lived connections. Now, you can you get Comet support, like I think the Dojo um, JavaScript library have some support for Comet, but it's still pretty pretty... I think it's still pretty tricky because you have to get a server that's going to handle it and uh, and like Apache and IIS and all these sort of standard servers don't handle Comet at all. You have to have some way. And, and the ones that you have to buy are usually pretty expensive. And uh, there's a couple that you have to buy that I went with that. I, I can't, the names are escaping me at the moment. And there were some of their open source that I tried. There's like a Python one. And I tell you, this is, I tried to experiment and they just didn't work. So right. I don't know. I mean, now... 
you, you know, you may, you can go look for open source Comet projects and maybe you can download and install one and maybe you can screw an alarm with your server and get something up and working. But it's still, it's still pretty complicated and still kind of a headache. Now, PubNub, the impression I get from reading their website is that they, they supply the whole service. So they, it's like free up to like, I think it was something like 5,000, um, like 5,000 messages. And then after that, it's like a really small amount every – let me see if I can find the pricing here. Um, yeah, after, after that, it, 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 I think it scales pretty easily. But it would be, be a nice way that you could at least experiment with Comet by using their huh. – so, so you're saying that I could just use PubNub for Swarm and then use that as the, the kind of back end for dealing with all of this? I think so. That's the impression that I'm getting. Excellent. You could take a look at PubNub. I, I want to invite. I want to. I wanted to invite them on the show this week, but I, I just didn't get the time to to write an, write an email, and uh, <laughs> I was spending all the time working on Mark's Mark's stuff. Um, but yeah, that'd be kind of cool. But that's that's what that's 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 what Comet is, and they, and they they sort of provide sort of a, a, a sort of a, it looks like a friendly solution that is relatively low priced for to get started and supplies like you know bindings and, and libraries and like all the major like php and ruby and python and they have javascript support for all the major browsers and mobile apps and stuff so it looks like it could be a really slick easy solution so it says you get 5000 um connects that's uh, right for free and then they sell credits for 0. 0.0005 cent which yeah. is kind of cheap yeah, yeah, it, it seems like, pretty cheap. I mean, I, maybe at a certain point it would get expensive relative to, say, trying to install your own solution. But at that point, you know, you can probably, you'll know a lot more whether it's even a workable, whether it's even necessary or workable or whatever. But Interesting. You know, it, it's a way to get started without having to spend a ton of time getting your server infrastructure set up to handle handle it. But, um... So, yeah. I... I, I I'm even though there was nine purchases of Swarm, um, no one's kind of gone onto the website and made any comments or anything. So that's what that's one thing that's going to be different between um, developing iPad and just general desktop or, or, or I guess mobile software from web software is it's going to be harder to build a community. I think. Right. Well, you have to think of ways of of getting that going. I mean, I don't. I I don't have much experience with that yet. So <laughs> maybe know. within the app itself. Maybe within the app, I kind of try and do some pop up or push people towards the community. Yeah. Well, I, I remember reading some stuff about how one company made a lot of money not off their their uh, iPhone app, but by using the iPhone app as sort of a driver for their website for their web app. Right, so the web right. app is where they made money, but um, the iPhone app was sort of an extension, and it either was free or it was low cost, and it did a lot of cool stuff. But then it's, it just served as sort of a another entry point for their um, for their web app. But it, they, it really drove the growth of the web app itself. Um, yeah, you can probably flip it a lot of different ways. So, um, well, so I, I, I got more. I got another topic. Unless you okay, want, you, no, no, you go, you go. Yep. So I was thinking it was kind of middle this week and, you know, we we're talking earlier about, you know, working for someone else versus working on your own ideas. And one thing I tell you, it's like if I didn't have Guyon to work with on this, I mean, it would be hard to maintain the same level of enthusiasm, even though, you know, I'm very 
enthusiastic or excited about the project and I and everything. It's like there are days where it's just like, wow, you're just slogging through it, right? Yeah. It's just, oh, you know, and you get kind of depressed because you're like, oh, there's still so much to do and that and this has been so frustrating. This part that I'm working on is so frustrating. And two things. It's like one, just having, you know, a daily work session with somebody. I mean, because Guyon comes in fresh. He's like, all right, let's do it. What are we working on, right? And so I, I always forget that. I mean, you are not really a solo entrepreneur. You you are part of a team here, and that's yeah. just so much easier than um, than being on your own. Yeah, yeah. No, I I put in more hours than Guyon because you know part of it is because I just I want to put in more hours. I think than Guyon does, which is fine. And we've kind of worked out um, a way of of keeping that and uh, sort of how that factors into our sort of theoretical ownership of the. Of, of the code or the, of the company. Right. And I can explain that in a minute, but, um, you know, I, I probably put in, you know, I don't know what it is, 15 to 20, depending. I mean, and that's just a guess. I'd have to count up the hours, I guess, but he probably puts in anywhere from a third to a half of that. in. I mean, it's like, we probably average four days a week, like an hour and a half, right. Each one of those days, but those are important hours. Right. I mean, because if it was just me, it would be very easy for me to get sidetracked and just kind of bored of it or frustrated or just lose lose focus, you know. And when you have just every day, you know, um, I get a phone call or I get a ping on uh, Google Talk. He's like, "Okay, what's your ETA? You know, he's asking me, like, you know, I'm going to be ready in 15. You're going to be ready. And, you know, it's like, "Okay, switch gears. So that I just just realized how important that was because I had I had a rough. I don't know, was it with Tuesday or Wednesday where I was just kind of just not in the mood and kind of a little burnout and then, uh, you know, blew right through it and made a ton of progress. So that's just important. I There's think. no doubt about it. If I had someone like that with Plugio, I would have been able to add a lot more features to it and make it move faster. It's because of coming to that burnout stage when a single person works on something, you know, I was working on it so much, putting so much time into it. And then after three months of that, I just reached burnout and it's like working on it's difficult now. Yeah, um, I, I, th I th it's like if if you can find someone to work with, even if even if it's like, you know, problem is that I think a lot of times you 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 want to find someone to work with who's like lives near you. Yeah, you know, because that's always fun to go and sit down somewhere together and work on stuff. It's always more fun to be in person, working in person, but. A lot of times that's just not possible, and you have a lot more flexibility if you can pick someone from anywhere. Now, yeah. Guy Guyon and I started to work together because he, I hired him to as a consultant to, or as a contractor for working, working with me on Prezo. So it wasn't like I found some random guy and then we're going to do a startup together, which is really hard. We kind of you know, got to know each other through the consulting. So when I started working with him, if it turned out like after a couple of weeks or a month, I did, he, wasn't, he wasn't a very good developer or he wasn't very fun to work with or wasn't whatever, I could have just ended it, right? But not, not everyone's in that situation, though. Like yeah, I know. I know. Well, what I'm saying is that I was lucky because I was able to sort of dip my toes in. And it was after, you know, we worked together on Prezo for, I don't know how long it was, two or three years. And so I knew Gaon extremely well. And we became very good friends. And I knew how good he was. And I, and I, we'd always talk about Prezo, you know, when things were at Prezo looked like it was kind of not going <laughs> to go forward. But you, like, you were doubly lucky because Prezo was funded and you had, you had, funds to pay the guy right mm -hmm. yeah. for, for a, a long period of two years and and most people very few people are in that situation so you've you've kind of locked out there i don't well, know what, well, one thing i would say is it wasn't that the, the two years wasn't the, the, you know the important part is that you know i was able to contract him if you were able to 
hire someone as a contractor for something small, and then you get a sense of whether you want to work with them on something big. Because you think about doing a startup, I mean, you know, working on some project, I mean, that can be a very big deal. And, you know, for instance, here's the thing, like Taylor, Mark hired Taylor at, you know, at my suggestion to do the design work for this um, iPhone stuff, right? And I've been working with him, and I really like the work he's done. I like working with him. So I would, going forward, if I had some ideas and stuff, I would probably, hey, hey, Taylor, what do you think of this, right? Because well, I've, I've been able to sort of dip my toes in and see what kind of work he does, and I've been able to work with him a little bit, and, you know, it's easy working with him. But it's kind of like, it's kind of like asking women out. <laughs> like, <laughs> you, you can ask a woman out, but, you, you know, firstly, they've got to find you attractive, but secondly, they've got to not be going out with someone already, or, and, and they've got to be interested in going out. And, and so you've been very lucky in this scenario because you've basically started working with this guy, and he's been happy to then get, you know, consider being more involved with you on a longer term project. I mean, once again, very few people are interested in that, even just that aspect of it, right? Because they've already got their own stuff going on. If, if people are in any way entrepreneurially inclined, they're normally working on stuff and they don't want anything else to uh, dilute that. Yeah. You, you know what I'm saying? No, I, I don't know if that's true or not. I mean, I think that's, that's plausible, but I think there's a lot of people who are probably up for doing something but aren't working on anything in particular or just kind of messing around with some stuff that, that they're only slightly committed to. And if you approach them and said, hey, listen, I got this really cool idea I'm working on. Why don't we do this together? But you got to be kind of a good salesman in a way. And I mean, a salesman in the sense that you have to express your ideas and your enthusiasm in a way that's contagious. They're like, oh, that sounds awesome. People want to work with people who are enthusiastic and have a vision and are excited. I mean, you know, I think that if you come in and say, oh, I don't know, I kind of got something to work on, I want to do this, people are like, okay, whatever. But if you if you come out with them and you're like, look, this is going to be awesome, let's do this, let's, let's you know, we're going to, you and I, we're going to take on the world. This, we're going to kick some ass. This sounds to me like, this sounds to me like it should be a, a website, another App Ignite project, where basically... You have a website where you can hire yourself out for contract, but you're hiring yourself out under the guise that you're hoping to meet other people to work with in this kind of a way. Like that would be a great, a great system, a great kind of service. Yeah, because you, you kind of need a little bit. It's kind of like it's like you, you you need to date before you get married, right? You yeah. need to, you know, you know, you, either you do like little. You say, okay, we're not going to hire one another, but we're going to kind of do a little you know, uh, sample test project. Like what you could do is sponsor, the, the website could sponsor contests, right? Like weekend contests. Here's the, here's the, here's the app or here's the category of app. And you kind of get teamed up with people randomly or semi-randomly and a designer and a developer, or whatever. And then you build stuff. And in that process of doing these kind of games, you could do it like run it, you know, every few weekends or something like that. And it's just like a 48 hour type of a, of a, of a, of a contest. But the, the, the real benefit is a, I mean, a couple things. One, you, you probably learn something by doing a project. You have some, another one is you have fun. But the other thing is that you get to meet other designers, developers, people that you need to ultimately build something. I think that's a really, really good idea, especially with the competition aspect thrown in. Like, so, I don't know, meetacofounder.com, but like rather than just kind of randomly say stuff, you're actually tasked with projects. That's a, that's a bloody brilliant idea. I mean, you have to do, I mean, because you have to do something, you know, just talking is, doesn't really mean anything. I mean, pe there's a lot of people who are, who are great talkers and can't produce or deliver anything. And there are a lot of people who, um, and the other is true, right? They, they suck at sort of communicating how good they are. And, but boy, if you give them something to do, they'll, they'll, they'll work some magic. 
right? So, and it's, it's also like, it's just more fun to do stuff. It's not, it's not so much like, you know, I mean, some people are motivated by competition for the purity of the competition that they just, that's in their blood is to compete. But other people, it just gives you a focus of something to do and it puts a time limit on it. It keeps it sort of a, a tractable problem. It's like, if I go to the gym and, and so there's a basketball gym, right? And I tell you, I would say I would go to the gym to play basketball. If people weren't actually competing, we're going to play a, a full court game or half court game. We're just going to all stand around, just kind of shoot the ball randomly at the, at the, at the hoop. It would be boring, you know, because that's what always happens. Everyone's sitting in there kind of shooting around. It's like, all right, let's play. We got, what do we got? We got three on three. Do we have full court? It gives a focus. It gives, let's do something. Let's play a game. Yeah, we're going to play to the first team wins to 11 it's not so everyone is just dying like you know there's some ego thing i have to scratch that that's the primary it's just like let's play a game let's it do it freaking sucks that we keep on coming up with these ideas but we don't have the bandwidth to create them freaking <laughs> sucks i i like I, I really want this idea to exist i'm, I'm telling you like if anyone's listening and, and thinks this is a good idea i'd say go for it well, because a lot of they have those sort of weekend. I think they're every once in a while they'll be in some city. They'll be, and we've mentioned this a little bit. These like hackathons, you know, and they'll be like, oh, you'll see like in San Francisco, there's a hackathon in May or whatever, and you have to fly there, and it's a thing, and and it's fun, but you have to be able to afford to either live there, or have afford to fly there, and do it, and that's probably ideal. Assuming you had the resources, um, but you know, making it virtual so it's just on the web. What would is be probably, the revenue model for this? Oh, I you know. Who knows? I mean, I think there's probably a lot of probably a lot of potential revenues of revenue. I mean, you could have sponsorships from development companies. You could have. Oh, um, you could you. I mean, well, but but if you did that, if you got sponsorship from like I don't know, let's say Adobe, IBM, or Microsoft, but, and but the problem is, is that then they're they're going to start plucking people. Like we're supposed to be pairing people to start new businesses, new companies, but if Adobe's in in it, they're going to pluck people for themselves. Well, well yeah, I mean, that. you know, that's fine too. Is that you know people, I mean. People could could do these things for a lot of reasons. It may because a lot of people might want to do these, but they're like, hey, you know, I got a full time job that I like. Right. You know, I'm not looking necessarily to do a startup. I wouldn't mind doing something aside. Maybe maybe I would in the future, but at the very least, it'll raise their profile and give them options, right? Maybe they're like, hey, I wouldn't mind being open to doing some consulting work on the side. So if they did well in these kind of hackathons, and people are like, yeah, this guy's an awesome designer. He's an awesome Python guy, or he's an awesome server guy, and let's contact him. And he's like, okay, yeah, I can do ten hours a week on the side. That might be. What, what kind of perfect. projects would it be? What kind of pro like would it be like build a blog? Oh, yeah, I mean, do probably something more fun than that. Like, okay, let's build some. You know, I mean, you could do anything. I mean, there's a million projects you could do. But they mobile, need to be web the, apps. It would need to be a project that that could test the skills of each of the people involved. Like, it'd need to have the design aspect. It would need to have the tech aspect. Uh, you know, yeah. to be well rounded. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, and most products have to. They have to have a design user experience um, to them that's that's decent and has to have some tech technology to it that's interesting. And How about just charging like ten bucks to for for each each person to get involved in the contest per two weeks? Yeah, you could do that. I mean, because the thing is, if people pay for things, they care more about them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's <laughs> what know? I was thinking. And even if it's paying ten or twenty or thirty or you know whatever fifty bucks, I mean, I don't know. It really depends, but. You know, you know it just, that everyone in the pool is has, has paid. And they got a little so, skin in the game, right? They're not just going to, yeah. you know, hey, like, like I'm going to work on this for the week and they've signed up and then they, they, they never showed. And, and then somehow they, they, could, they could basically have some kind of profile and resume on there so you could get an idea of who they were. And yeah. um, you could kind of invite them to be on your team. Mm -hmm. And so you could, have, you could have the Teams page and it, 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 originally the Teams page would have all the blank slots 
you know, like what you like one of those leaderboards when you have a competition, like yep. maybe a ping pong competition. Or, and so gradually, these the teams the, the slots get filled. You know, like Team Alpha, Team Beta. <laughs> and, yeah, and then well, the you project. Know, you could, yeah, you you could have like people could enter as a team if they wanted to. Right. Right. Or they could just enter and say, throw me on a team, which happens like in sports leagues all the time. Like a great so way like to random. Yeah. Like I remember when I used to live in Chicago. I remember they had like these sports leagues for like, you know, ultimate Frisbee and soccer and volleyball and all these things. And I think they call it like um, it was like uh, sports monsters. I think it was called. It was more social than it was super competitive. You know, I mean, it was kind of like a college entrepreneurial sports. You know, you go out the bottom would be co-ed and stuff. So but the. The fun, the thing of it is like, yeah, people like to play sports, but they also just like to meet other people and have something to do on the weekends, right? Oh, yeah. So just throw me in. And I'm, I'm going to play softball. I'm on a softball team, a co-ed team. Or I'm on some. I'm in a men's volleyball league that's only slightly competitive. But you know, fine, whatever. Throw me on a team. That is and, a wicked idea. Just, just randomly put people, um, team people up. That's very, very good. Yeah, very good. because I, th- I think there's a lot of people like us who are developers, designers, entrepreneurs who are either you know, have time for side work or, or you know, or, or have our consultant have extra time, but wouldn't mind meeting other people and wouldn't mind, you know, doing some fun stuff because it would force you to learn something new. It's like, okay, this has to be built in this technology. Here are the cool constraints. So it would force you to learn some new technologies, some new tricks, you know? What about foundermatch.com? So that, <clears throat> that implies that it's matching founders, but it's also a match as in a competition. I would make it more, more less about founders and less about matching. Is I would just make it a competition that the side effect is that that's what happens. You know, because a lot of people aren't necessarily looking to be founders. They're looking to raise their profile for consulting work. They're looking to maybe just have fun, learn tech, new technologies, just to compete. You know, but a side effect might be a lot of people might be looking to say, "Hey, you could say on the side like, are you interested in doing consulting work? Yes or no? Put it on your profile. Are you looking to do a startup?" Do you have startup ideas? Well, but some, somehow, you, like, it's, it's branding and its overall concept needs to sell what it is. So if it's not going to be founders, then it's, is it team, teammatch.com? I mean, somehow you need to say, look, the, 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 the benefit of this site is, is that you get to meet new people and basically it's a great way to meet a founder or a great way to meet a team member. I don't but know. If you don't do that, then what, what is the point? Yeah, you know, like I said, everybody has different motivations for doing things like this. You know, and they they aren't going to all be f- to be founders. Like for instance, you you are not looking to found something now. You are now going to be fully employed. Would you like to compete in something like this? Maybe. Yeah, but right? may- maybe it's a mistake to try and cast the net too wide. Just just keep focus. That's what I've learned in, in, through my ventures. Yeah, I disagree on that one. I, I would call it something. I would call it, give it some kind of like, you know, hackathons or tech monsters or something like that. And it's just like, they just have these big sort of contests. And as a result, you, you develop a, a, you know, a social network, uh, maybe a, a portfolio, a reputation for actually doing stuff. So how do you, how do you get that out in the marketing that people understand that, that that's what the, you know, the, the benefit of this is? I don't even know how this idea came up. I, I wasn't. I, this idea just came up as I was talking. I was like something I've been thinking about. You well, know what I mean? Well, no, well, I'm not, because I'm just, you, you were just you were just saying it, and then I said, you know what? That would make a great website. And right. then you said, so I don't know. I mean, I, I you know, um, how would it get out to the marketplace? I mean, you know, you you did, you know you put it up. You write some posts about about what you're going to do, and you put it on things like you know these bar camp emailing lists and um, Hacker News and. Reddit programming and, and you just you, you have these contests. I, I guess if you if you somehow like for example Barcamp Barcamp has its own concept because of the the, the basic Barcamp of what it is. 
Mm-hmm. Bar, bar camp has its own meaning. People understand that bar camp means, oh, that's the place where I go and I'm going to find, yeah, I'm going to meet new people. Maybe somehow this could, ha- this could just be some new kind of word that people just understand that that's what this is about. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So, but um, again, I mean, I would, I would, I would not limit it to just like a startup co-founder because that's a really small niche in, in, in terms of the universe of, of um, people who like to do, who are, who either are employed or freelance programmers and designers. I, I, that's so funny. I don't know how you can say that's a small niche. That doesn't make sense to me because I mean, every, every job I've ever had, every developer I've ever spoken to always want to start something, always want to start something new, start their own business, become their own boss. I've never even met a developer who didn't want to. Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, I don't, I, I don't know. I mean, I just there are millions of programmers out there, but how many of them are actually reading Hacker News and actually? I mean, there's few people. It's one thing to be going out to lunch and and someone telling you that they want to do something. It's another from them actively actively pursuing it. Um, yeah, but what's so, the biggest reason that they don't? The biggest reason that they don't is because they don't have a team. They don't have a partner. Right. Oh, I think there's a ton of reasons. I think it has to do with, you know, risk aversion. Some people have a paycheck and they don't want to give it up. Some people um, are just don't have the, you know, maybe the, uh, the, I don't know, the commitment or the real enthusiasm for it. It's not people who put lip service like, oh, I want to do that. I like to travel. I like to learn. I like to do this. I like to do that. But they don't do it. They just, they do their, whatever they do on a daily basis. And there's not a very small percentage of people actually pursue entrepreneurship. I okay, think. but 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 bar camp, right? Bar mm-hmm. camp is just about entrepreneurial shit. No, no, it wasn't. Um, and what I can was... speak from some experience since I hosted the first one in LA. Okay, well tell me. Tell <laughs> co-hosted me what, it. What's it about? It's just for people who are working on or doing or know about interesting stuff and they want to share it with other people. And so what happens is if you come to the conference you have to you have to be a participant. So you can't just go and listen to a bunch of talks. Some guy gives a talk on MongoDB. Someone gives a talk on, you know, designing awesome user experiences. Someone gives a talk on, you know, how to make your team super effective with the latest agile practices. Something like that, right? None of those people may be founders. They all may be employed in other companies or consultants or doing other things. They're not looking for founders. They're not founders. You may have a few entrepreneurs there who who are literally showing off their latest stuff. So for instance, at the first one. Isaac was showing off Central Desktop. Travis, who I mentioned earlier, the angel uh, investor, he was showing off Red Swoosh, um, which within a couple years later sold to Akamai. And I was showing off Prezo. And that's how I got to know those guys. And some other people had some of their startup. But, you know, like Chris Messina. Do you know who he is? It's really funny because you just said three people, two of whom were really successful. But but you, (laughs) your project, unfortunately, didn't didn't reach the same yeah well they're the only two that i know that have taken (laughs) off yeah you know it's it's uh, uh, yeah i don't don't mean to be mean because you've i mean prezo clearly was a fantastic piece of work and um you are very successful as a as what you do well i'm I'm not as successful as those guys i mean you know i uh travis sold his doc of mine i mean he's done right i mean he's an angel investor he can do whatever he wants he's you know and uh isaac as we've as we've mentioned i mean you know central desktop is very successful but you know whatever i mean you know i I did a good job on Prezo, I think. I think we gave it a fair shot. We yeah. almost got bought by Google. We all yeah. almost timed everything perfectly. Things didn't necessarily work out. There is a certain amount of luck and timing and how everything plays out. Anyone who says different is is full of it. Um, I mean, yeah, you have to have these other things. Like, you have to be able to deliver a, a great product. You have to be able to read the market. You have to be able to execute. And you have to be able to close a deal if it comes to selling it or selling the company or getting more investment. But there is luck involved. And the most 
the most the honest most honest and humble entrepreneurs will tell you yeah man there i got lucky i got some there was definitely luck involved right yeah you happen to meet the right investor. You happen to meet the right technology founders. That, or the idea happened to occur to you at a time when you happen to have the ability to pursue it. You know, it's tons of stuff. So, yeah. yeah, do I? Am I frustrated? Is there part of me that's frustrated that 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 Prezo didn't blow up and become a big deal? Yeah, but it I'm didn't. Sorry. I'm sorry yeah. for taking us down this path. I'm sorry for mentioning that. Um, but uh, yeah, hey, oh, what, what, what? Oh, anyway, go on, go on. Uh, no, I mean, I just, I think this is a great idea. Yeah, fair enough, whether whether it's just for entrepreneurs or for the general, you know, like you say, the bar camps sort of thing. I think that's fine, um, the, bar, the, bar, the bar camps kind of thing. But the thing I'm saying is I'd just love to see this happen. I'd love someone to... Uh, yeah, it's sort of the virtual hackathons kind of thing. It's yeah. kind of like virtual hackathons or web, web hackathons or something. Yeah, the, the only thing is, is like labeling it hackathon makes me much less interested in it. Why? Because I can't be bothered to get involved in a hackathon. I want to get involved in something that's going to hook me up with decent and great people. And so when I think of a hackathon... Why, why a hackathon? Yeah, why does that have... Why, I don't why, know. Why it just sounds like hard work, right? Whereas, <laughs> so you don't want to work hard. You just want to meet great people. Yeah, I want to meet great people and I'm happy to do tasks to do it. So the branding of a hackathon to me sounds like uh, too geeky. I would never get involved in that, you know? Too something. geeky? Yeah. Is this coming from you? I know. It's funny because I'm, I'm like the ultimate geek, but still, it just it, like... You've reached your geek limit. Uh, hackathon is my geek limit, yeah. Huh. Okay. So, right. uh, so for me, that, that if it was branded in that kind of a way, it doesn't work for me. Huh. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I'm not saying it should be called, but those are what those are generally termed. They're generally, con- they're, they're, they're generally termed something like a hackathon. You know, and they're they're sponsored. They're not new. I mean, they've been sponsored. Different companies will, you know, Microsoft or Google will have so, a different hackathon. So that's why I'd rather it be called something like, "This is a great place to meet fellow tech people." dot com, and then it just happens to be that the mechanism yeah. was the hackathon. That's not going to work. It's just, there's got to be a focus of doing something, not just like, "Hey, we're all just going to hang out and be nice no, to no, each no, other." No, no, no. But that's what I just said. So it's called "This is a great way to meet people." dot com. But then the whole mechanism of it is the hackathon mechanism. That's lame. Why? <laughs> it just sounds lame. Why? <laughs> Obviously, I don't mean specific. I don't mean exactly. This is a great way to meet people. dot com. But I'm just giving you an example, right? So a cool way of saying that, like, I don't know crowdmatch.com or something like that like some cool web 2.0 name that gave the gave you the impression oh yeah yeah that's that's where i'm going to meet people and then you go there and the process is your kind of funky hackathon concept right 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 you, you don't sound very impressed no i, I don't like it so i don't <laughs> have to tell you <laughs> well th- th- this is why we this is why we can't ever start a project together because we've just we think differently yeah we don't agree on most things that's why we have a good podcast because we don't agree yeah so, um, <laughs> speaking of not agreeing, let's move on um, okay. to agree on, to not agree on some other things. Um, yeah. So, I, let's see. Uh, I, I have another uh, mini segment called "Letters from Guyon." <laughs> so, I talked to Guyon during the week, and he's always got like he's not always, but he always has some feedback from the from the show because he listens right. to it. Yeah. And a few things I've been meaning to bring up that he had brought up at different times. Um, and he listened to our discussion about um, paying for stuff, like how much you should charge for Swarm and paying for stuff. Okay. And he says, in his point, he mentioned, he said, look, you know, the one thing about the iPhone and the iPad is you have an audience of people who are conditioned to pay for things. iPhone people, people who pay for Mac stuff, people who use Macs pay for stuff. Yeah. Right? Agreed. They're not total cheapos. They're willing to pay up for high quality stuff. 
and take pride in it. So yeah. you have, just as I had mentioned, I had said that, you know, there's a conditioning effect. And he's like, yeah, there is a conditioning effect. And part of it is like trials and stuff. But part of the conditioning effect is that people who are using them, the Apple platform are willing, to, are willing and, ex- and, and expect to pay for stuff. So there's a certain amount of that. There, there definitely is an amount of people who want to do that. But what tests have shown is that um, if you make your app free, you can drive more sales by basically having a free app and then doing an upgrade. Yeah, I think is the I think that's the I think that's your best bet. I mean, one of the big the big issues is is that because Swarm's only available on the iPad, and I'd, I'm not quite sure how it could work on the iPhone because the screen's so small, and um, that's something else worth discussing. But the the market is it's like a hundred million versus two million. Yeah. Right. Well, you know, I just talked to uh, Mark yesterday. And he said the iPhone. I think the Android just is is recently passed the iPhone in terms of Android. Android, yeah, yeah Android yeah. market is, is is surpassed the iPhone market. So yeah. you you know if you can get it on a mobile uh, device, I mean if you can, which I'm sure you could, just smaller icons, right? I and mean, people play chess and stuff on an iPhone. You can certainly play Swarm on an but iPhone. But how, how could you do it? Like like when you click your finger, it's like covering six pieces. I don't know. I mean, check out how they do the uh, chess or checkers or whatever they do. I mean, Mark says that he plays the chess every time he's standing in line somewhere. So he's always playing chess. So I assume it's doable. Hmm. So I'm sure there's a free or low price chess game you can experiment with to see how they do it. But I mean, I'd put it on there for 99 cent if it was iPhone, right? Okay. Yeah, and then but you get the Android market. You just get it out there. I mean, get it as many channels as you can, especially if it's not a ton of extra work um, to open those up. Well, I guess the other thing is, is is that the iPhone, because I'm doing it in JavaScript and WebKit, right? Once it, when it's on the iPhone, it's going to be pretty slow, I would have thought, compared to the iPad that's got the A4 chip. Well, I mean, again, you you know, the one thing we talked about too is you built the whole thing as as, as essentially like an embedded web browser, whereas you can write it in native code. Using I guess like I guess like yeah, I guess I could just redo it in Titanium. Right. I mean, I don't. I mean, you could. I just do a little weekend experiment with, you know, trying to build, you know, draw directly using their graphics library and see how that works and see if it would be a lot of work or not. You don't have to commit to doing it, but just experiment. Maybe it wouldn't be that bad. Why do I feel like yawning? <laughs> Yawn. <laughs> well, I don't know. You spend a lot of time working on Swarm. Maybe you're maybe you're reaching a a midterm sort of burnout on Swarm. Like you know, you got it. You got it released, and now you just want to take a break. Look, if it sold 10 copies a day, right, it sold nine on its first day, if it sold 10 copies a day on a consistent basis, that would be a grand a month. So it'd be a second project for me bringing in a thousand a month. Plugio's mm-hmm. bringing in a thousand, Swarm would be bringing in a thousand. I'd be happy. I mean, it's just, you know, it's just like a little sideline thing. Right, multiple revenue sources. Not bad. Yeah. Not bad. Um, so so another letters from Guyon. I got a couple more letters. Okay, go on. <laughs> okay, so um, what we're talking about, you know, I told you how Guyon is using the stand-up geek desk at work, and I asked him how that was going, and he said he uses exclusively stands-up all day. Loves it. <laughs> right? Yeah. Which is amazing to me because I, I tried it for about five minutes at our breakfast bar we have on our in our kitchen. And I was just like, oh, this, I can't even think. I'm just thinking, I can't think what I'm working on because I'm constantly thinking how I want to sit down. Right, you yeah. know. And, uh, but he pointed out, he said, you know, most habits 
take about two weeks. I think there's some psychological experiment or some psychological study on that about how two weeks is sort of like... A, a I thought good, it was like 30 days, but yeah, two weeks. That, that's good I don't know. I, I didn't verify what he said. He was just throwing it out there. He thinks it was two weeks. Maybe do, a, do, a, do the Google and see if it's two weeks or 30 days or whatever. It's kind of like the equivalent of the, of the Malcolm Gladwell 10,000 hours to become an expert. Yeah. You know, two weeks to break a habit or 30 days to break a habit or establish a new habit. And, uh, you know... So it's the kind of thing that I, I guess if you were going to do the stand-up, you'd need to kind of you know you ease into it. As I think you mentioned too, like all right, I'm gonna try and do it twice a day for a half hour, and then I'm gonna try and do it three times a day at a half hour. Well, shot. I was the same as you. I just gradually migrated towards not doing it because <laughs> ultimately it it is easier to sit in a chair than to stand up. Right. I'm, I'm personally kind of in two modes. Like I'm willing, I am a biggest sloucher lounger. Like I am, I I don't sit up straight. I lounge way down in my chair, you know. So I'm either doing that at work or I'm, you know, I'm playing basketball or soccer at full blast for two hours. Right. So I'm either like, I mean, I have, I have like neutral or fifth gear. Right. <laughs> Apparently I don't have any. In- Which is no. the same with you and speaking. Right. Yeah. I don't yeah. talk and then I talk to the fast. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, you know, it's funny. I listen to myself when I listen to this podcast. I'm making the notes. God, that guy needs to slow down. <laughs> so, um, so tell me, tell me something else that uh, Guyan said. Unless one he said was he had a he had a sort of a quibble, which was that we kept calling them JSON objects, and he's like, it's not an object. JSON is you know a string notation to describe an object. It's JavaScript object notation. We kept calling them JSON objects, which he's right. Is what I essentially mean is. You know, when you instantiate a, a JSON string, it becomes sort of an object, a, a, a very simple JavaScript object um, that's in literal notation that doesn't have any functions to it. Okay, so I'm, I'm going to say, talk directly to Guyon here. Guyon, I apologize for, for that. And um, in future, I will continue to make the same mistake, and I just apologize for all the future occurrences of that. But <laughs> what I really mean is that it's a JSON string. I'm just not saying it correctly, but. Anyway, thanks a lot for bringing that up to us, and um, much, much apologies. So I think that was I think that's all that's all my letters from Guyon. <laughs> and, and do ask him to send ask him to send more because they were fun. Okay, so uh, <laughs> let's see what else you got any topics? Um, 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 not off the top of my head. Nothing. Okay, I got a question for you. Okay. Um, the uh, have you ever written an app that would parse emails that were sent to the application? You know, like Posturus, you can post a, you could post a, 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 write a blog post and have it go live by just sending an email to say, you know, Justin Vincent at Posturus.com. As it so happens, I've written a POP3 proxy, um, which basically does that. So yes, I do know something about that. Okay. Well, let's, tell, tell us how it works. I mean, do you, what do you have to do on the server to set that up? Um, well, with the POP3 proxy, it's, I don't know, I guess it would be the same. So basically what you do is, um, and bearing in mind, I did this like 10 years ago. Okay. Um, but what you do is the proxy runs on, runs on the port that SendMail normally is. Okay. So then SendMail connects to it and you, you pass all that stuff through your proxy to where you want it to go to some other place. So, so the reason why I did it was because I wanted to do a virus scanning system. I was building a virus scanning system. Okay. So that when, so that people ran, ran this proxy on their machine and when the mail got delivered, it got delivered via this proxy, which then spoke to send mail, which was on another port, which you, so you then reboot send mail on another port. And um, basically it could alter the messages as they were coming in and mark them as spam or whatever. 
So that was how I did so it. So it sat in front of SendMail, right? Yeah, basically it sat, it sat in front of it, yeah. So now, that, that, can you do something that, I mean, is there, a, is there a simple way to, I don't know, like if there's, a, if there's sort of a mail queue that all the mail comes through that you can just pop it off the queue and just grab messages off it? Just process them and do uh, something with them. I, th I think there is, but the but the problem is, is that it it depends on kind of the route that they're going. So whether they're going into a mailbox, like that. So so an, another option because it depends on what your problem is, right? If your problem is is that you just want all mail sent to one mailbox dealt with, that's kind of easy. Because yeah, that, that's what I'm thinking. So if I if I have all mail coming to one mailbox, yeah, and all I want to do is process the, the, the mails that come in. I want to write a cron job that will come in every minute, and it'll one by one grab. The the each email off the out of the queue and then process it and do something with it. Yeah, you just you just look in the one file and uh, basically there's it's I can't remember the RFC but basically it's something like there's a there's a dot on a single line in between each email and then that's how you can easily split them up and understand what an email is and then the the headers always end with like. After the header section, there's like one line with just a carriage return on it or something. Yeah, no, I, I, yeah, I realize that. I'm just wondering where, you know, is there like a sort of a standard way mailbox, you know, on, on these sort of Linux systems? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. It, I've forgotten where it is, but it's it's like uh, user slash mail, you know, mailbox or mbox or something like that. Okay, it, so it's essentially just a folder. Oh, no, no, it's not a folder. It's just a single file. All the it's emails go into like one, one big text file. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. So, so they all go. They all go into a big text file. This is this is the most basic uh, version of the of the send mail, right? So, I, I think IMAP might be slightly different, but I'm just talking about the basic pop stuff. Right. So, they just end up in one big text file, and you can you can parse that text file basically. Okay. So, um, what do you do as a, as a as a way to not interfere with the process that's writing to the file? Because if you're getting a lot of email and then you're you're reading from it, and then you want to sort of delete emails from it without contending with the actual process. Do you write anything special for that? Well, then then what you can do is you can go through an actual email client and just use it on the command line. So just basically you could use something like, um, I, I've forgotten, oh yeah, just use the standard mail client and um, pass in some arguments and then get the response. So that, that mail client will tell you if there's any new messages or whatever. And just use basic shell scripts. Uh, expect is a good one to use. Have you heard of Expect? I have not. I, like, I'm not much of a Unix guy, so I'm not familiar with any of those. Any so, of that so, stuff. so with Expect, you basically uh, you run a command, and then you say what you're expecting to come. So you, so you give it a wait string. So it'll wait until it sees that thing come back. Mm -hmm. And then you can kind of pass that data in through grep and through other different scripts on the system. Right. And, but, uh, but the handier thing for you is because you know PHP, probably just use PHP to deal with all the data processing and then use expect as the, as the kind of interface. Your, that, your interface. Rather than parsing the file directly, you just use expect to Well, so you, 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 could use, you could use the mail tool, right? So the mail, the mail tool is what you use on a command line where you kind of click mail and then it shows you how many messages you've got. Okay. And then you could use expect to see that screen open and then say press M or Q or whatever it is that you need to see how many new messages you've got. And then the results of that, you pipe back to your PHP script and you can then see how many new messages there are. And then once again, you go back in through expect and kind of pull those messages out via that way. At least if you do that, then you can be sure you're not going to corrupt the file in any way. Right. But, but what, I mean, who else is going to be looking at the file anyway? Why can't your PHP program just deal with it on its own? I was just wondering. I, I just hadn't, you know, I hadn't put much thought into it. I was just wondering. What's it um, for? What, what's the what's the problem? 
Oh, you know, you know, it's funny. I just had a kind of a funny thought the other day. So I was um, there was a, an article popped up on Hacker News about um, Posturus. I guess D- Dustin Curtis, who's sort of I guess he's becoming a semi well-known designer in the Hacker News world. Right. And he he had wrote a, a blog post about how he laughed at the Posturus idea. To I, I don't know if it's Gary Tan or I think that's one of the founders or the other guy, and he just thought their idea was ridiculous because it was like you know Blogger had been around forever and had a simple set up a blog easily and you know WordPress had, you know was was very full featured and there was open source so why are they going to start another yet blogging engine right I mean it just sounds it sounded preposterous right right you know, like why is this going to work you're like ten years late. <laughs> and you're just going to have some really simple blog, uh, blog engine. And they're like, yeah. So, but you can just the one neat thing about it is that you can email. And so he was just the idea of being that like it's so hard to predict what's going to work, and so much of it comes down just to executing stuff, making stuff really. And and people in the comments on Hacker on the uh, on the article were commenting about you know plausible reasons why it was successful. Was it successful because it was so easy to use? Was it successful because it was a Y Combinator and it got the sort of initial push that it needed because of being a Y Combinator startup? Yeah. Was it because it just was so pretty because they had such a pretty little interface and it looks then and post preposterous blogs actually look fairly attractive out of the box as opposed to some of the blogger ones that kind of look kind of bad? Or or at least everyone uses them so they become they look bad because everybody uses them. What was the general consensus? I don't know if there was a consensus. I just there was a bunch of different comments and people were just arguing back and forth. And it was who knows, probably some combination of those things. They were all probably factors. But I started thinking, you know, it would be kind of funny. And I brought this up with Guy Allen. I said, you know, what if you did the same thing with App Ignite, right? You send an email to App Ignite, like you know, Justin's app or whatever, and it, and it would email you back and says, okay, well, what kind of app do you want to create? And it would say, oh, I want, and it would list like five different kind of major broad categories of app. And then you say, oh, I want to create a you know a, a private app that blah 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 you know and then it would come back and says okay what's your primary source of thing it would just be like this dialogue between you and like this programmer being the app ignite engine that would speak to you and ask you simple questions like a wizard but it would just be this back and forth well and i thought that would be it just made me crack up thinking about that like it would be like it'd be like communicating with a developer except rather than being a couple weeks before every response you would, it would be instantaneous and it would be well, the next round that, that is kind of interesting i mean like uh, when you first said it, I thought, "Wow, that's that's nuts." But actually, thinking about the other possible applications for it, just like I mean, essentially, what it's like is it's like when you call into Kaiser Permanente and they have that guided that guided system, where you call into AT and T, and it's basically they're listening to your voice commands and they're um, they're guiding you down different paths. I mean, a system like that, like a like a support system, would be kind of pretty cool, actually. Like, yeah, I was just thinking that if, if, you, if you made it, it's like a wizard, right? It's just like when you do a wizard through a series of dialogue boxes or a series yeah. of pages, except it's a series of emails. It's like you can just see if you're in Gmail and you're going back and forth and you're looking at your thread and you're being asked questions back and forth. Do you want this? Do you want that? I, I don't know was, about building an app, but I think for support, that would be really good. Yeah, we'll probably work for support. Yeah, maybe so. But I just thought it would be kind of fun. I, I brought it up with Guyon. and he wasn't convinced, but I thought it would be kind of fun to to just as almost as a joke, <laughs> just to see build an app for e- via email, right? It sounds it just, like a lot of work. <laughs> you know, well, here's the thing, right? So App Ignite is going to have a wizard that's going to guide you through the 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 uh, the process of putting together your application. Okay, there's going to be a, both a, a, a wizard approach and a non-wizard approach. But the wizard approach, of course, there's a certain amount of just of interface design and development's going to it's going to take to get that working, but the engine itself 
could be driven simply by a, a you know a, a command line interface, which is almost like this. What this is, right? Which we built, you know. So 50 how, times how would you like? Would you give people like in the email? You'd use square brackets, and then you'd say put an X in between those square brackets for the one you select. Yeah, make it kind of obvious. Like, okay, after this thing, you know, choose either write in the name of you know your primary data object, and you can, if you want, put. On each new line, put the you know some of the fields. Like a person would be first name, last name, phone number, age, social security number. You know, text. I think okay. you're almost certainly underestimating the amount of work required for that. I, you know, I, you know, I'm not saying it. You know, and I have I have a habit of underestimating work, and I will probably continue to underestimate work, and I reserve the right to underestimate work throughout the future. But nevertheless, a wizard is is assuming you're is a wizard built through a web interface or through, you know, a sort of a, a command line or email approach is still going to ultimately going to have to do the same work, except a, a, a UI is going to be more work because you have to do a, a, a nice UI that kind of... Well, you are missing out the one fact of the fact that there is like a million different email clients that all have different character sets and encodings. And when they send their stuff back to you with the reply, it's, it's, it's going to be a lot of work to make sure that it's all munged into a decent format that you can actually pause and get right every time from all of those different character sets and email clients. Mm. Oh, really? So just get it. You, you just, it's not like just respond, getting the, you know, it's like, you know, like in, um, just despite what browser you use in PHP or, or whatever, if you, you, when you get in and you get like a, a text area, text field, you know, it sort of takes care of the encodings and you're just dealing with raw text. Right. Yeah. No. I mean, with I, th I think you'd you'd run into a lot of a lot of character encoding issues, um, a lot of issues of people just, you know, for example, w uh, like different different email clients. When you hit reply, like they put they'll put arrows at the beginning of every sentence. They'll put spaces. They'll do a whole bunch of different stuff. Mm -hmm. So you'd have to be very careful about, you know, how to pass out the exact content that you wanted because it's just going to look different every time. Not every time, but I mean, I'm just saying that it, it's like I was reading an article about something like with, with websites, um, if you have a lot of users, the, the, the one in a million happens a lot. <laughs> and mm -hmm. so with the, if you have a lot of email clients, a lot of users, the one in a million is going to happen a lot here as well, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and that would be the, where I would see the work. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It was just an idea. It was just something that I thought was kind of when I it just occurred to me and it kind of made me crack up because I thought it'd be kind of hilarious to build an application by by emailing some like robot. It, no, I, I think it would be hilarious. Funny. I'm actually sure that that's been done for for like um, you know, these kind of role play games, these action and adventure games. Mm -hmm. I'm yep. sure that that's been done. So there may be an an engine that you could already plug into. Um, as is one thing, but I. I I genuinely think that is a really good idea and, and it's only slightly funny um, because of the App Ignite thing. But if you did it and built the engine, I think that it sounds to me like that would definitely be some value there. Yeah. So anyway, I was just thinking about that. That's why I was asking about parsing emails because I, I don't want to spend a ton of time trying to configure some a bunch of tools on the Linux server because A, I'm not a Linux guy and B, I just don't have a lot of time. But if there was some simple way, it's like, oh, well, you just say, you know, you read just like you do like standard in, you can, you know, PHP, you can use PHP to just kind of pull in data. Is there like a way to just pull in data from, you know, some, some like, oh, this is the mail, just you can suck it all in. Using but, PHP. But I mean, yeah. if if I was your investor, I would I would be saying, look, uh, 
don't build that email thing. Let's focus on the core mission of App Ignite. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, that's true. I, I, that's true. But uh, I was just thinking about it. was just one of those things to think about. I have about, you know, like a hundred different ideas, <laughs> things that yeah, I want to pursue. I know. We, we, both, but, we both suffer from that. But, you know, it's funny. Um, the, uh, this last few days, I was working on... Uh, on Mark's app, and and so he he they, he, he had Taylor design the uh, the website, and it was a lot. Of, and and so App Ignite had built the actual website, but I had to make sure that everything was completely all the HTML and everything was completely customizable, right? Right. So that it doesn't look like some kind of toy, you know, this is some pre-built app. Like, you know, when you, you look at, you know, a blogger app or a WordPress app, you can tell. You look at it and like, okay, unless someone's themed it. You know, WordPress has made it, I mean, most of those things are themable, but they've built in the ability to customize it so it does look like something completely different. Right, you right. Know? And App Ignite ultimately has to do the same thing. It can't, everything, every time someone builds an App Ignite app, it can't, like, oh, like you can totally tell that's just some, you know. Oh, no, yeah, it needs happy to look little, completely different. App. Yeah, and it was kind of neat. So I had to run through a bunch of, um, you know, at the last minute, it's like, okay, now I got to use custom headers and custom footers and custom login pages and custom registration forms, and you know, you did have. So I had to do at the last minute. I'm building all this stuff in App Ignite. So instead of, you know, when when I'm looking at these HTML and CSS files that Taylor and images that Taylor sends me, he's like, okay, so this is the registration form. I'm like, okay, crap. No, wait a minute. <laughs> That's got to be custom. Yeah. How do I, how do I tell app ignite that the registration form uses a custom header or not use a custom header or use a custom footer or not. And whether a header is private or public, you know, how, you know, display like if you're logged in or logged out, which header do you display all that kind of stuff. But I got all of it working. So it's kind of funny when I'm working with, with it's like twelve thirty at night on Thursday night, and I'm working with uh, Taylor. We're we're kind of talking over Skype, and and he's like, "Oh yeah, so this is this is this page," and I'm just like, "Oh man!" So it's not just a matter of me writing the code. I have to write the code that writes the code. Yeah. <laughs> well, actually, t Taylor would, is would, is probably going to grow to love App Ignite then, because he'll see those des those designs moving onto the App Ignite system, and like you know, he's not a coder, so he'd he'd really love something like this. Yeah, yeah. So you know, it's funny you mentioned that because I, I, I talked to him. I said, you know, because he, he, Taylor gets it. You know, I've talked to Taylor. He's seen how my templates work. I've sent him. Yeah. I said, here's, this is this is all you need to know. There's like two things you need to know about the templates. There's this, this certain type of comment, and this is a placeholder for a value. Yeah. You know, that's it. And once he sees that, he's like, he, you know, he gets it. It's not not rocket science or anything. And and. Um, I think he understands the, the promise of App Ignite. And he's like anybody else in the show. It's like, okay, well, sounds great. <laughs> I hope you can deliver, right? And, um, you know, he sees that this website has been built during App Ignite, but I think he, he gets it. And it'll be very powerful for him, for him in particular because he's an entrepreneur and a designer, but he's not a programmer. So it's the one thing he can't do is really code the whole thing. And that also made me think of another issue, which is that one group I really might want to target <clears throat> initially with App Ignite are designers. Yeah, because it's like now you take all these designers that that have ideas and stuff, but they don't have the money to hire a programmer to build it or the skills to build it themselves. And maybe they can do a little JavaScript or they've written a few PHP scripts and stuff. But they're like, yeah, I can't build an entire web application. Oh, I read a you know they they've gone through a couple of Ruby tutorials and stuff, but you know they're they they just don't have the time or expertise. I think that that is a really really good idea. Um, and it's that's something we were thinking about with Mash API as well. We were working out what is the route, the best route to market for Mash API, and we had decided it was front-end <clears throat> coders, because Mash API would allow you to do, would, would allow AJAX and front-end coders to to create full websites without needing to get right. involved with PHP guys. 
and and Epic Night is perfect. And and the market is just so huge of designers who would basically want to create apps. And it would it would be just such a novel way for you to get to get in there as well because there's there's plenty of design websites and so you could get a lot of buzz about app ignite from from um by focusing on those design websites and those are the channels that you would use to get to that target market yeah so i, th- I think designers might be because there's one thing you talk about like business analysts people who are business analysts is like how do you target business analysts right yeah. they don't hang out online together they're they're, they're embedded in corporations and <laughs> places right. but designers are all, just like programmers are on the web they're reading blogs they're on places like dribble and yeah. they're showing their stuff and they're looking learning techniques and they can become aware of this stuff and they ultimately bring this into corporations because they're doing design work or they're doing things and they're like oh okay like you they might be an in-house designer for some company and they can actually all of a sudden they're discovering that they can put together some full-fledged applications themselves off and write a line of code and then and then of course it looks beautiful because they design it because they're actual designer they're not just uh you know some guy just selecting some boxes they're like okay now i'm gonna make this thing look beautiful i got this idea for this app a boom i designed the whole thing it happens and now i'm just gonna you know go into photoshop and create some cool designs well yeah i think that's that's very good so, um, but the other reason I bring that up was the idea of you're like staying on course. It's like by working with Mark, I mean, it really is focusing me. I, I have to deliver what he needs. So I have to deliver a real application, not a toy application that has some hokey looking login box and some silly vanilla looking header and footer. I mean, it has to be a, look like a serious full fledged application. Yeah. So it really focuses me. So the yeah. one thing is like, hey, you know, one thing I'm frustrated with is is that, yeah, this is a big project. It's taking me longer to release it than I'd wanted or had hoped or anticipated. But at least I have one actual real client that has a real application. It's not like, oh, it's some guy's playing around with like a Twitter clone he's trying to build on Epic Night. It's like, no, this is, this is real, man. This is real designs. You know, it has to be up because they're trying to get funding with it. So that's actually been really helpful. If not stressful at times, because <laughs> it's like yeah. we're gonna have this tomorrow. Now you gotta write the code that writes the code that does this by tomorrow. <laughs> so someone's just blogged about Plugio um, for, and that like the, the the tagline, the title they've got is Plugio, a great online Twitter client for netbook users. And uh, Twitter's going nuts. It's just like uh, had like I don't know thirty or tw- sorry twenty uh, retweets uh, oh, within nice. just like a minute. So wow. that's kind of cool. Um, Hopefully Plugio can get another, because, you know, you were talking about $1,000 a month. I mean, that's great and all, but really, you know, if you can just kind of just keep your pedal on the gas to a little bit. I mean, you don't have to spend $1,000 a month trying to hire PR firms and stuff, but just trying to do a little business development so that by this time next year, it's, you know, 1000 or 2500 a month. I mean, that would be a big deal. Well, it, it does have a growth rate of just slightly over 1%. So you, you that sounds saying, really slow. It's not like you'd at least kick that up to five. I mean, or you, you were saying that we have the we, that humans have the uh, the don't have the capacity to understand the the growth potential, right? Yeah, we don't natively we don't sort of natively really have a good comprehension of the exponential. We think but more linear terms. Yeah, will one percent turn into something massive in a year? Uh, no, I don't uh, think. Shoot. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, the exponential, the percentage increase is your key factor there. So if you can get that up to three or four, three or right. three or four percent compounding is way better than one percent compounding, you know. Right. Um, and as soon, the, if you can get those those things up a little higher, 
it just makes a big, big difference. So, um, and I know it, it doesn't sound like since you haven't talked about it, my my assumption is you're doing little to nothing to to do the to help build the growth. I've, I've, I've put in new features, and it does seem that when I each time I put in a new feature, it just makes it that little bit closer to fulfilling the the ultimate Twitter client needs. Yeah, and then people do kind of rave about it a bit more. So I guess it's just me putting in features. But that's the I th- I, I think you're taking the sort of the lazy developers approach to business development, which is like, I'm just going to make the product great and hope that people talk about it and come. And I think that's an essential piece that you got to make a great product. But I think to some degree, you have to figure out some ways without spending a ton of money to get people talking about tweet my arm out to a video. I was thinking that one of the things is would be if, if I could make it viral. And the, the, the definition of making it viral is that there's value in people telling their friends about it. Mm-hmm. And I'm just not quite sure what would be a good way of doing that. Well, didn't we? Didn't, I mentioned something to you about a month ago. I think Dropbox wrote a they did a they did a presentation which then appeared on a like on SlideShare or something about how they how they really drove their growth. You know, Dropbox. People don't know if Dropbox is the way that you can share files over the yeah. web. You can install client on basically any type of computer, and it's it's really awesome. And it's a it's a wide combinator startup. But it makes sense with Dropbox. I don't. I don't know how it can. Well, let's to like finish what I was saying, so people know what we're talking about. Right. Which essentially, what they would do is, if uh, it's been about a month or since I read the article, so hopefully I'm, I'm, I'm right about my details. But I think that you would get um, either additional storage or discount off of your monthly payment by getting bringing other people in. Right? Is that right? Yeah, that is right. Yeah. So that is essentially that gives you incentive to go out there and tell five other people it's like, oh, man, you know, if I get, you know, if I can just get five of my friends who I, by the way, would probably know would like this, then I'll get half off or whatever the discount is for the for so many months for my Dropbox account. And I don't know, look at the numbers that Dropbox use, maybe use something similar percentile. Uh, maybe this- it's a free it's a free thing because to me, it, I, I, like I've only got 100 paying customers. I don't see how that would scale out. And I'm not sure how it would for Dropbox either, but I know Dropbox do have like a free account. So maybe what it is is that you get slightly more free space by telling people. That's, yeah, well, look, that's, look what they say. Just use, just look up the Dropbox thing. It'll show up on the web and they'll tell you what numbers they used. But if you only have 100 paying customers, I mean, for crying out loud, I mean, all I have to do is try and pick up five more a month, convince five more customers. That doesn't sound very hard at this point. Um, yeah, I guess. I mean, the problem is you spend all your time building Swarm, so you didn't, you've done nothing to build the business well, I, I have well I've, I've, done, I've put added some more features to plug here that people have been bugging me about it's like I said you're just writing code right <laughs> which is probably another reason why it's, it's not a bad idea for you to take a full time job is that because ultimately you want to be an entrepreneur but you want to be an entrepreneur who only do, writes code no, 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 that's you don't not really, true. You don't really want to spend the time doing the business development. I really do. I, do, I just don't understand what... It, what I don't understand is what is a worthwhile... Because the problem is, is I've done a whole bunch of business development on Plugio, right, already, and on lots of other projects that I've been involved with. What I am not very clear on is what is worthwhile expenditure of time. Like, for example, with Woyano, I did a, a coin puzzle a viral video, right? Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, it, it was okay, and it did, it did produce... Uh, value and it, it got over half a million views in total of the the series, but it, it only drove so much traffic. And it's like, 
I, I guess the biz dev thing is it's just continual, you know, doing continual things, continually doing stuff, marketing ventures and. Well, it's, yeah, it's, like, it's, it's, it's they try it's, lots of things. I mean, you have, some people tried AdSense, like the Dropboxing. They talk about how they tried AdSense, and it cost so much. It was the the customer acquisition was way too high. It was way more than they would make even off a of, off you know premium clients. And so, simply try AdSense. Some people try affiliate stuff. Some people try the you know what you talk you talk about the idea of like getting you know discounts for pulling people in. Then there's things like. Um, well, I don't know. There's so much. There's like, you know, first of all, reaching out to the blogosphere, actually trying to promote the product, writing blog posts, trying to build up a presence in the blogosphere or on places like. Yeah. And it, just, <laughs> it all requires work, really. So basically, the long and the short of it is I'm just too lazy. Well, yeah. I mean, the bottom line is you, you don't want to do that kind of work. Yeah. You want to do other kind of work. You want. I want to do to, problem solving work, basically. Yeah. Well, you want to build stuff. You're ultimately a builder, right? You want to build. You want to build. You wanted to build Plugio, and then you wanted to build Swarm, and those are fine. But you know, an entrepreneurial, a successful entrepreneur, ultimately is going to require, except in lucky cases, you actually having to build a business, which requires doing a lot of the business development stuff, which you know you apparently aren't too excited about. Which you know, be honest with you, it's not something I'm too excited about. So I'm going to have to force myself to do the same thing. I go right? through phases. Like there, there's times when I am excited about it, and I and I am into it, and there's other times when I'm not. I'm just going through a long phase of not being excited about it right now. Yeah, you're, like, you're, you go in the mad scientist mode. I'm just going to build cool crap. I'm going to go no, build. No, a bunch no, of- no, no, no. I I can get into into. Uh, I mean, if you look at the blog, you know, you'll see that I've gone through phases of posting quite a few blog posts. Yeah, you, know? you kind of, you're kind of, um, you're kind of fits and spurts, aren't you? Exactly, exactly. So it's it's not that I don't want to do it ever. It's just that. It depends on what phase I'm in, and and that does relate to other stuff that's going on. How much jobs I, ha- you know, how much other contract work I've got going on, and that that all that stuff. Right. Uh, anyway, now I'm just like I feel like we're um we're highlighting what you know that I'm not doing very well with Plugio right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. Look, all, all all I'm saying is that you did a good job, and I think what it takes is just to consistently just not giving up on it and then just trying to put in a little bit of ongoing effort uh, in other things other than just doing features to try and get that up to, like, you know, a little bit of a bigger growth, in which case, you know, this time next year, you'll be pulling in hopefully a lot more money and, and you'll be that much more satisfied with the outcome. Right, right, yeah. That's all. I mean, it just seems like it seems like you're at a leverage point here where a little more effort could come out with a lot more potential income. It's true because I mean, the thing is, people are basically happy with it, <laughs> and they tell their friends about it. And any growth that it has is just because people tell their friends. Mm-hmm. So it's it's almost it's almost like I'm sabotaging myself by not getting into this. Which is the same thing with it's the same thing with uh, this podcast, right? Is that when we we don't do business development, and essentially we don't try and invite on guests uh, um, who have followings we just we all we do is just try and make uh, a good show then that we have the same effect right a very slow growth and yeah. it's just a matter of doing the other stuff that is takes a little more work and a little more outside a little it may be a little bit outside your comfort zone right actually the show is is very um yeah that's a very good analogy because it is basically the same level of growth as plugio i think mm-hmm. like we so, should by rights we should we should have a thousand listeners after a year yeah, but by rights, we haven't done the work. You haven't right. done the promotional work to build it up, and so we got to put a little more time into that. Okay. Right. All right, well, on that note, <laughs> anybody out there who wants to help us out by sending, you know, tweeting about the show or writing a, mentioning us in a blog post, we'd appreciate it. Um, or, or, or alternatively, maybe there's someone out there who loves the show but who happens to be a marketing guru, you know, and they just may want to, you know, get, get involved. What does that mean, get involved? 
do all the work that we don't want to do. Right. So have people do work for us. I don't <laughs> <Yeah. think so. laughs> That's not how the world works. <laughs> so, so are you thinking, I mean, we've, we've been going like, uh, we, we've certainly done over an hour and a half. Yeah. I think we, we've, we have definitely filled the time. So, <laughs> all right. That's a wrap. We're out. We're out.